Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We all know the importance of prudence, of being smart and sensible, especially with our finances. If we've learned anything over the last six or eight months, we've, we've learned that, that you need to be prudent, you need to be smart, you need to be, you need to be careful. And this isn't a new lesson, of course. I mean, you could go back thousands of years. You remember Aesop's fables? Aesop's fables are still so neat, still read them to the kids. And there's one of them, the grasshopper and the ant. The grasshopper and the ant. And it's summertime, and the grasshopper is having a good old time. You know how grasshoppers are. They're singing especially. You hear their song in the night. They're out partying into the wee hours of the morning, having a good old time. The ant, meanwhile, what's the ant doing? It's working hard. Yeah, he knows that there's going to be a hard winter ahead. And so that ant is toiling away because he is a prudent. He's a sensible creature. He's gathering his food. He's digging it into the ground, hiding it away so that when the winter comes, he will be able to survive. And so Aesop says, late fall comes about this time of year. And the ant is burrowing into his home, getting ready for the winter ahead. And the grasshopper comes. Oh, ant. Please, I need some food. Why do you need some food, grasshopper? Oh, because all summer long I was singing and partying and having a, a great old time. And the ant says, you enjoy your singing? Now you can dance because I'm not giving you any food. And he throws him away into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, I made up that last part, but that's basically the, the gist of the, of the little story. And the moral is, be prudent, be smart and sensible. Look to the future. Well, Jesus tells a parable today that turns that tale on its head. Jesus tells a parable, a story of three servants. Their master entrusts to them. He's going away on a long journey. And the master entrusts to his servants some talents. Now, just so we're clear on this, talents are not what we think of. It's not uh, skills or gifts or abilities in that sense. A talent was actually a monetary unit. A talent uh, amounted to about 20 years' pay, in fact. So we're talking millions of dollars, all that the master owns. He's entrusting this property to his servants, and he goes away. And those first two servants, what are they? They're a couple of grasshoppers, right? They go out and they engage in some risky business. They go out, they start wheeling and dealing, they're trading with all of the master's possessions and thinking, this is great, let's see how much we can make. Bing, 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 all right, I did pretty good. But that third servant, oh, he's an ant, right? He's like, not so fast, guys. We need to be smart, we need to be prudent here. I'm gonna dig a hole, I'm gonna bury the master's treasure, that way I can be sure he's not going to lose any of it. You know how the story goes. Master comes back, sees the grasshoppers, and says to them, Well done, good and faithful servants. And then to that ant, who was smart and sensible and prudent, what's the master say? Get away from me. What is it that accounts for this difference? Why is it that those first two servants are commended while that third servant is condemned? What's the distinction there? And look, this isn't just an academic question either. Like, oh, that's really interesting. At the end of the day, at the end of our lives, what I want to hear more than anything else, what I hope you long to hear, is that commendation from your master. For him to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. I want to hear that. I hope that you do too. How can we be certain 
that we will hear that message from our master? How can we know and be confident that we will receive that sort of welcome and not be cast away into the outer darkness? Well, for us to fully grasp what Jesus is telling us with this story, I think we need to go back. I think it's helpful if if we go back into the Old Testament to one of the most familiar stories from the Scriptures, all the way back almost to the beginning of the Bible. And as we go back there, we see a key to understanding where did that third servant go wrong? And how can we be sure that we go right? So I want you to think back in the beginning, back to the book of Genesis, at the very beginning, when God creates this beautiful, wonderful world, when the master of the cosmos creates everything, and as the crown of his creation, he creates his servants. He makes Adam and Eve. And what does he say to Adam and Eve? He says, go, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over this creation. In other words, he makes of them his servants, his stewards, the ones that he entrusts everything to, all of his good creation. He says, now go, it's yours. Make of it what you will. Do me proud. Honor me with how you serve, but go and know that I am here as your Lord, as your creator, as your savior. And so Adam and Eve do. They go into the garden of Eden and they are enjoying and delighting in all of its fruit. God says to them, all of these trees I have given to you. There's just one tree, children. There's just one tree that you should not eat from. A tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. But as for all the rest, delight in this good creation. For I love you, and I've entrusted it to you. So you know where the story goes from there, right? You get this little serpent who comes along. Is that the sound a serpent makes? I don't know. I can't do a good rattle, but... The serpent comes along, and he sees Eve. And he says to Eve, hey, Eve, how's it going there? And Eve says, oh, it's good serpent. And uh, serpent says, did God really say that you can't eat of any of the fruit of the garden? Did he really say that? Of course, God didn't say that, did he? And Eve knows that God didn't say that. But already the serpent is implanting a little bit of doubt into Eve's mind. And Eve calls him on it, right? She says, no, 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 no. God didn't say we can't eat of any of the trees of the garden. He said, there's this one tree, there's this one tree that we shouldn't eat from it because in the day that we eat from it, we'll die. But other than that, it's all fair game. He has given to us this great, grand, glorious creation for us to take pleasure and to enjoy, to delight in. And the serpent says to Eve, <laughs> is that what he told you, Eve? Oh, gosh, okay. Listen, I know you put the Eve in naive, But um, listen, that's not how it really is. He's holding out on you, Eve. He doesn't love you. He doesn't trust you. No, listen, on the day when you eat of this tree, you're going to be like God's. That's what he really doesn't want to have happen. He doesn't want you to be equal to him. He doesn't want you to be able to stand on your own two feet, be an adult. Instead, he wants you to stay as some child dependent upon him. Oh, no, Eve. You don't want to listen to that God. He is untrustworthy and hard. You ought not listen to him. And so what does Eve do? She looks on the fruit, takes, eats, gives to Adam. He eats as well. 
and understand that in that moment, the problem isn't the fruit. The problem isn't just some mere disobedience. The problem is they have broken faith with their creator. The problem is that they have forsaken their trust in their savior, the one who made them, the one who has given to them everything. And now they have said, we are going to be like God. We want to stand on our own two feet. We will secure our own lives. Thank you very much. And in that moment, the pestilence of sin entered into this world. The plague of sin suddenly infected all humankind from there to ever after. And we see it unfold in what happens next. Because there, Adam and Eve, having eaten the fruit, having broken faith with God, realize now that they're naked. And they hear a voice, they hear a sound in the cool of the day. It's the Lord coming into the garden. And so what do they do? Roll out the red carpet, welcome him with open arms. No, out of fear, they hide. Out of fear, they hide from him because they have bought the lie of the serpent, hook, line, and sinker. They have listened to his slithery voice and believed him when he says that this God, he's untrustworthy and hard. You should not listen to him. And so now, fearful, they are hiding and God calls out to them, where are you? Where are you? It's the voice of our Lord that continues to echo through all history as humanity recapitulates that first sin over and over and over again. From fear, they hid. Now let's go back to the story that Jesus tells. It's the master who entrusts all of his vast property to his servants. The first two servants come and he commends them, well done, good and faithful servants, enter into the joy of your master. And then the third servant comes and he steps right up and the master says, okay, third servant, how did we do? He says, well, listen, I knew, I knew, that you are a hard man, reaping where you do not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. And so, yeah, I'll admit it, I was afraid. I was fearful. And I went, I dug a hole, and I hid your treasure in the ground. Here it is. Where has he gone wrong? What is the error of this third servant? Is it simply because he's unsuccessful? Is the problem that those first two servants, they had the more talents. And so this third servant, God looks at him and says, oh, sorry, you didn't quite make the cut. Or is it the fact that the first two servants, that they are altogether faithful, that they made these strides of improvement, but that third servant, no, he didn't quite make it. He wasn't quite faithful enough. Is that the issue? Is it a lack of success from that third servant? Is that why he is rejected? Is that why he is condemned? No. No, see, it's that third servant has bought that ancient lie. The lie of the serpent that says that our God is hard and untrustworthy, that you cannot listen to him, but that instead you need to stand on your own two feet, that you shouldn't trust that you are a child of God, but instead try to be an adult who's going to secure his own life for himself, who's going to make sure that she is safe no matter what. He has bought that lie. That lie that refuses to believe that God is good. That he is for you. And I want to ask you, have you bought that lie too? 
Have you wondered whether at the end of the day, at the end of your life, God really has it out for you? If you can trust him or if he's just waiting for you to mess up, he's just waiting for you to come empty handed on that last day so that he can say, get out of here. Have you bought the lie? The lie that says that your God is not good and faithful. Put that lie away. Send it back to hell where it belongs. Because you have a gracious Lord. You have a kind and generous master. The one who in the beginning entrusted his great and glorious creation to his servants. And when they went awry, he did not leave them in the lurch. But then in the fullness of time, he sent his son, planted him in the ground like a seed. And yes, indeed, on the third day, he harvested that seed from the earth when Christ Jesus was raised from the dead. And now he has brought forth fruit, fruit that lasts. All of the, the wrath of God was poured out on his son on that day so that now you and I need no longer fear. Jesus has absorbed the just punishment that you and I deserve so that we instead can look on the kind face of our father and know that because he is good and faithful, we will be received as his good and faithful servants also. That Christ Jesus has stomped on the head of that ancient serpent once and for all. He has sent, them, sent him back to Hades where he belongs and now he has liberated all of his servants who have lived in slavery to the fear of death. You need not live there any longer. You need not wonder, do I have a kind God? Do I have a compassionate Lord? Yes, you have a gracious redeemer, not a domineering dictator. You have a, a kind and compassionate savior and not some terrible tyrant. You have Christ Jesus, your gracious master who died and rose again in order to give you life, in order to welcome you home and to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Is there an amen out there? But still maybe, still maybe you just have that lingering doubt. The serpent has not stopped whispering into the ears of God's people. Maybe you still have that lingering doubt. You say, yeah, but you know what? You know, those other two servants, they were pretty fruitful and faithful. What if my life doesn't look like that? I want you to imagine a fourth servant. This isn't recorded in the Bible. It's a deleted scene, okay? This is from the Tenetti Authorized Version. There's a fourth servant. And the master, the master entrusts to him ten talents. Gives to him ten talents right out of the chute. And this servant, he leaves from the master's presence. He says, oh, I know that I have a generous, gracious master. I know that he has my back no matter what. And so I am confident that I can go out, I can be bold, I can take risks, I can count on him, I can trust in him, because come what may, I know that he is going to receive me back. And so that fourth servant, he goes out and he tries to trade, he does business, he sees to do, seeks to do everything that he can. As the coaches would say, he leaves it all on the field, right? He gives everything he's got. But it turns out his business dealings didn't go so well. In fact, he fails and he falls over and over again until finally he's flat broke. He's bankrupt when he gets word that his master has returned. And now he has to come back to him with empty hands. 
And so the master comes, receives the other servants, and then finally he says, okay, fourth servant, come. The fourth servant says to him, oh, kind and gracious master, I trusted in you. I sought to make the most of all that you have given to me, but I have failed. I come to you with empty hands, utterly bankrupt and broken. And what will that master say to him? Will he say to him, be gone, broke servant? Or will that kind and gracious master say to him, oh dear child, when you come to me with empty hands, having given all for my honor and glory, that just tells me that I have hands that I can fill with the lavishes of my grace and kindness. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Do you believe it? Believe it, friends. Your master is no miser, but he is a gracious and generous Lord who expended his very life to make you his own. He who gave his own son for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things with him? This whole life, I'm going to let you in on a secret. This whole life, we're playing with house money, friends. You have a good and gracious Lord. And so you can wager everything. Strive to live faithfully. Fail and fall and be forgiven. And know that on the last day, believe it to the deepest depths of your being. Know it in your heart to the very end that come what may, because you have a good and faithful Lord, he is going to receive you on the last day and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. For when you come to me with empty hands, I can fill them with empty every good thing. And so he does for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to confess our faith.